Have you ever had one of those days where what you imagined happening, the way you imagined it was going to go, was nothing like how it really went? Maybe you've had one of those days or one of those weeks or one of those months, one of those years or lifetimes, certainly. Um, recently, I was planning a vacation to the biggest air show in the world. They say there are 10,000 aircraft that fly into this air show. It's a week of flight demonstrations and static displays, builders' seminars. They've had astronauts speak there, aviation legends, and uh, everything from World War I aviation all the way up to the most current thing. I could not wait to go. I've been dreaming of this trip for at least two decades. Ever since I knew this thing existed, I wanted to go. And a friend said, would you like to go with me? I said, absolutely, I would like to go. He was going to be my ride. I had Sherry's permission. It was going to be guy time for an entire week. I was stoked. I was ready to go. I couldn't wait. Then I got an email. And the email said that the Joint Commission surveyor was going to be visiting my unit at the time that I was going to be on vacation. Now, those of you that are health professionals are already feeling some deep sympathy for me right now because you know what the Joint Commission is. Those of you that are not health professionals, just think IRS audit and you'll be in the ballpark. Right in the middle of my vacation, this guy chooses to show up. So I think to myself, you know what, I'll just I'll work late a couple of nights, I'll get everything done, it'll be okay, it'll, I'll get it all set. This guy was two months earlier than we thought he was going to be, but I can do this, I can get it set, and then I can go on vacation. A couple days later, my boss calls and helps me understand that my vacation is an illusion. It's not going to happen. Have you ever uh, been... Have you ever had to deal with disappointment or disillusionment? It's not fun, isn't it? I, ca I have to tell you that I'm not a fan. I'm not dealing with that very well. In fact, it took me a couple of days to work through it. And since pouting is not a word that I like to use to describe myself, let's just say I went through a period of self-reflection <laughs> after I was told that my vacation was an illusion. Being blindsided by adversity is not all that much fun, isn't it? Um, it's tough. And actually losing out on a vacation is a pretty small thing. I have dealt with worse, and I'm sure you have too. Maybe even right now, you're dealing with some difficult circumstances. Things that have blindsided you, whether it's economics or a relationship, your job or a health concern, we get blindsided quite often. Maybe some of you are struggling with these things right now. Um, maybe even something more difficult than that, maybe persecution or abuse. I've been reading in the news right now, as we sit here tonight, the Coptic Christians in Egypt, Egyptian Christians, have had many of their churches burned, their homes and businesses looted and torn apart. They are brothers and sisters in the Lord, and they're dealing with this kind of adversity right now. They're figuring out how they're going to meet for worship because their building has been torn down. Adversity strikes, persecution comes. In fact, Jesus said in, in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. And my experience verifies that. How about you? Jesus wasn't kidding. You know, Jesus is wildly attractive to me. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he tells me the way it is. He tells me just like it is. If I listen to his word... I don't have to be surprised. I know I'm going to have challenges in this life. I know significant challenges lie ahead. And another thing I love about Jesus is not only does He tell me the way it is, 
but he tells me what he's going to do about it. Let me read that verse again in John 16 in its entirety. Now listen to the bookends that Jesus puts on either side of that statement that we're going to have adversity. It goes like this. These things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. One of the things I catch myself doing from time to time is trying to reinvent Christianity. Do you do that? I would like to have the joy and the peace and forget about the adversity. That's the way I would like things to be. you ever do that? I certainly do, I have to admit. I don't think there's been a single time in my life where I have been in the midst of adversity or difficulty or tribulation and ask God, why does this have to be going on right now? Why me? Why this? Why now? Many times you've asked the same questions. And the next thing that I say in prayer is, God, make it stop. I'm just being honest. I don't like desert experiences. I would rather not go through them, but on occasion, from time to time, God seems to think that I need to walk through the desert that I need to come through a period of adversity, come through a time of difficulty. And this evening, what I want to do is tell you a story, share a story from God's Word with you about a time when God's people had to travel through the desert. I learn best from stories, and I'm so glad that God has included them in His Word. And this evening, I would like us to accomplish a couple of things together. I would like us to get a better understanding of why it is that we need to take those trips through the desert. And then I would like us to have a, a little bit of a better understanding of how to find those bookends, that peace and that joy that Jesus talked about when he told us about the adversity that we would experience. The peace and the joy of Jesus Christ. The context of the passage that we are about to read is really one of triumph. The people of Israel have just left Egypt they have just been freed from 400 years of slavery through the supernatural intervention of God. They are walking out of Egypt free people. They are no longer slaves. It's, they're experiencing something that's been unknown to the generations before them. They are walking out of Egypt laden with the treasures that the Egyptian people handed them, gave to them, and said, take this and go. God was with them. He provided a pillar. It, it looked like a cloud during the day and a fire during the night. God showed them that pillar to show them that He was with them. And He gave them that pillar to lead them in the way that they should travel. It was an incredible time of joy and anticipation. And then the unexpected happens. Read with me in Exodus chapter 14, beginning with verse 5. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He also took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea. One of the things that happens when you face adversity in life is you come to a new understanding, a new understanding sometimes about people. 
I've tried to imagine what it would have been like for me to be standing on that shoreline with those people looking at this this vast body of water in front of me and then turning behind me to see one of the largest, best-equipped armies in the world bearing down on me. I would be trapped. Now, I've been a soldier and I've experienced war, so I know something of what it's like to see the, uh, the enemy arrayed before you, an enemy that does not want you to live, but I've never experienced it like this. I've never experienced it like these fathers must have felt standing next to their children and their wives, what the wives must have felt. They were practically, for all intents and purposes, they were unarmed, and here was one of the largest, most well-equipped armies in the world bearing down on them. We learn new things about other people in times of adversity. They had learned by experience, 400 years of experience, that the Egyptians had an upper hand, that they, that challenging them was dangerous, if not even deadly. They had learned by experience that Pharaoh and his people were intent on growing rich by the labor of the Hebrew people, and that Pharaoh and his people were not afraid to use force to get what they wanted. They have learned things by experience. What have you learned by experience about this world in your times of adversity? Have you met people like Pharaoh who, who had it out for you, who were pursuing you to attack you or abuse you? Have you learned from circumstances that there are challenges that you're just not equipped to deal with? Desert experiences make an imprint on our lives, don't they? Especially the difficult ones. We start to think in certain ways and believe certain things based on our experiences. But Israel didn't come to this place in the wilderness to learn that Pharaoh was dangerous. They already knew that. They didn't come to this place in the desert to learn they didn't have the power to fight him off. They knew that too. They, God brought them to this place so that they could see what God could do, and what he could do in their life, who God really is and who they really are. And to understand how this was going to work, we're going to have to back up a couple of verses. In Exodus chapter 13, beginning with verse 18, we read, So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And then if we jump to verse 20, we read, So they took their journey from Succoth and camped at Etham, at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. Here in this time of adversity, they were going to learn something new about God. It was clear that God had led them into the wilderness. It was clear that God had led them to this place before the shore of the Red Sea. In fact, this fiery, cloudy pillar was like a, a supernatural road marker leading them every step of the way. God led them to that shoreline where they would be trapped between the water and the army of the Egyptians. God intentionally led them to a place where they would be helpless. And furthermore, from Scripture, we understand that God is the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would pursue Israel with his armies. What do you think about that? Sit with that for just a moment. Because, see, in my years as a pastor, in my years of trying to help people in their spiritual journey, I've been asked this question. Why would God let this happen to me? Why would God bring me to this place? Why didn't God stop this? What is going on here? We learn things about God that surprise us in times of adversity. 
If you were standing in that camp, seeing God's pillar and that shoreline behind you and, and Pharaoh's armies in front of you, what would you be feeling right now? Maybe you're having experiences right now that, that would help you empathize with them. How comfortable are you with the idea that God may intentionally lead His people not only into difficult situations, but impossible situations? Have you been there? Some of us have. So, I would like to subscribe to the notion, this is what I would like, this would be my preference, this is how I'm going to rearrange Christianity, right? I would like to subscribe to the notion that a good God would not put me in a situation like that. But you know, if I read in the Scripture, that notion is just not true. If I look at my life, that notion is just not true. God will take His people and put them in difficult, even impossible Strenuous situations. He's done that with me. I'm sure you've experienced it yourself. We learn in the wilderness that God wasn't kidding when He said, in this world, you will have adversity. Now, right now, all the people of Israel had learned about God was that He had led them to that place. There was a whole lot more that they were going to learn about God, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but they're starting to learn some things about themselves too in this wilderness experience. Look with me in Exodus chapter 14, beginning with verse 10. Exodus 14, verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. Wow. They're scared. It comes right off the page. They are frightened. You know, one of the things that adversity does is, is it takes the lid off. It, it shows you what's really in your heart. You really can't cover it anymore. When we're, we're being nice with each other, when we walk into the building, we say, how are you? And you say, hi, I'm fine. We can kind of hold it in, right? But when adversity comes, it shows us what's really going on in our heart. When I lost my vacation, I was a little surprised at how long it took me to, to sort of even out again. That's just true confession. It was a little thing, and I got kind of riled about it. I was surprised at what got dredged up in me. Just a tiny little thing. The other day I was listening to Caleb, and, and the host in the morning said that he had an experience where he was driving his car down the road, and coming right in the middle of his lane was a man walking a dog. So he slowed down, and he eased around the man walking the dog, and as he got around the man, he heard the man yell at him, Idiot! and, and pointing at him. And he said, I can't believe the power of the anger that swept over me. I was just shocked. I wanted to throw the car in reverse and back up and give him a piece of my mind. And <laughs> maybe you felt the same too. It wasn't the man yelling at him that caused the anger in his heart. It was already there. The man yelling at him just simply took the lid off and showed him what was already inside. Adversity shows us what's really in our heart, what's really inside. It's like an x-ray machine that God uses to say, this is what I see in you. This is who you really are right now. 
Have you ever had an experience that, that pulled the lid off and showed you what was inside? There have been times in my life where I was utterly shocked at the anger or fear or faithlessness that I really felt in that moment. You know, that K-Love host is just like the rest of us. When, when we, we, we get shown what we really are inside, we're kind of shocked and kind of, kind of afraid. And, and where did that come from? I think that's exactly what was happening to the people of Israel here in the desert. Look at what was really revealed in the minds and hearts of the, of the uh, Israelites. In Exodus 14 and 12, they said, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. You see, what God was revealing in their hearts is they weren't free yet. Their bodies had walked out of Egypt, but their hearts were still there. At the first challenge, at the first difficulty, they wanted to turn and run back to what they knew and go back to the life of slavery. Not only were they willing to abandon the freedom that they had just begun to taste, but they were ready to abandon God. They had a couple of choices. They could follow God who had supernaturally freed them from Pharaoh, or they could go back to serving the man who had no problem using them and abusing them. The Egyptians, or I'm sorry, the Israelites were, were sensing some raw fear, some faithlessness. It was there in their hearts all along as those armies of Pharaoh pulled up over that ridge line. The, the lid of their hearts was pulled back and they saw what they were really like. They came face to face with who they really were. The, God, the reason God had led them down that desert road and the reason God leads us down the desert road is because He wants us to know what's really there. He wanted the Israelites to be free. He wanted them to know the peace and the freedom and the joy that only He could provide. But that He had to deal with that fear. He had to deal with that faithfulness, faithlessness first. Like I said, their bodies had walked out of Egypt, but their hearts and minds were still enslaved. And God loved them too much to leave them that way. There is a part of our faith, an essential part of our faith, that will only grow in the desert. Just like oranges grow well in Florida and California, just like apples grow well in New York, faith grows well in the desert. So now that we know about ourselves, now that we know that Jesus said, in this life you will have adversity, now that we know we're going to experience times like that, what are we going to do with those times? What are we going to do with a time when adversity pulls up and sits down on the couch and says, I'm going to stay for a while? What are we going to do? Are you going to patiently endure it and count it all joy? You know, James 1, verse 2 and following is important. And we're going to get back to that in just a minute. But can we be real for a moment? Growing in Christ is hard. It's difficult. Going through trials is hard. It's not only hard for us, it's hard for biblical people too. When the Hebrew people were confronted with the armies of Pharaoh, their first reaction was fear followed by anger at Moses and God, and then they tried some pessimism and some sarcasm. Again, in Exodus 14, verses 11 and 12, then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Do you see the sarcasm there? Why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Elijah, a great man of God, a prophet of God, had just finished a great victory 
over the priests of Baal was threatened by Queen Jezebel, so he ran for his life. And when he could run no more, he collapsed beneath the tree and said to God, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Add despair and depression to the list. When Jonah was commanded by God to preach to a violent people, he booked a passage headed the opposite way. Add running from God to the list of how we deal with adversity. Later, Jonah would suffer in the hot sun. After his shade plant withered, he said this to God. Is it right, or God said this to him, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. In Job 7, verse 11, we read, I complain in the bitterness of my soul. These biblical characters responded to adversity with bitterness. Then the disciples in the boat, in the middle of a storm that was filling with water, and Jesus asleep in the back, they said to Jesus, Teacher, do you not even care that we are perishing? Add believing the lie that God has abandoned you and God doesn't care to the list. Fear, anger, pessimism, sarcasm, despair, depression, bitterness, running the other way, believing, God, believing lies about God's character are just a few of the ways that God's people in His Word have responded to adversity. That's quite a list, isn't it? A couple of things occur to me when I see a list like that. Number one, <laughs> I've tried all those things. I've responded to adversity in all those ways. And I don't feel so bad because I'm, I'm not the only one. One of the things I love about the Bible is it leaves the warts in, amen? God's people struggle with maturity, and I struggle with growing in maturity. I'm not the only one. It's hard for everybody. And finally, when I see a list like that and I read the stories of those people, I understand that God was patiently, lovingly working in the lives of those people to free them from the fears and the faithlessness that they were experiencing. He was in love with these people. And he was patient with these people. And he endured with them to make them free. And he will do so with you as well. If you have ever said to God, you don't understand. I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't go there. We'll never find the money to do that. You have just found yourself in the desert. And you're trying to put the lid back on. We've all done it. We've all tried to go the other way. The people of Israel had a choice. They could go back to Egypt where Pharaoh was. They could hang out in the desert indefinitely. Or they could move ahead with God and the way that he had planned for them to get through this time of adversity. The desert is where you and I find a crossroads. Am I going to... Am I going to stay with the old ways or am I going to follow God in faith? Am I going to acknowledge, and the Bible word is to confess, am I going to acknowledge the things I see in my heart or am I going to try to fasten the lid back down and just keep going the way I've been going? See, the people of Israel were stuck for a moment and they weren't just stuck between a shore and an army. They were stuck between fear and faith. They were stuck between slavery and the freedom that God had for them. And I need to ask you this evening, are you stuck? Are you stuck this evening? If you are, this next part is for you. God has no intention of leaving you or I in the desert. That is not what his plan is. His intention is freedom and the promised land. Some of you have read this story. You know where it's going to go. Remember the bookends that Jesus talked about? Peace and joy? You can have them. You can have them now. 
And this is how. Read with me in Exodus chapter 14, beginning with verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Wow. In a a place that you thought was impossible, in a place where you thought it was going to be the end of you and the end of your family, in the place where you couldn't see a way out, God didn't give you a battle plan. God said to the people of Israel, stand still and watch what I can do. Oh, I don't have to fight this on my own. I don't have to beat this by myself. I don't have to have the resources to, 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 be, to meet this challenge. I just have to look to my God and be still and watch and see what He does. Do not be afraid. God told Moses to tell the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You shall hold your peace. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 16, 33. These things have I spoken to you that you may have, that in me you may have peace. The peace that God provides in the midst of the trials is not based on circumstances. Notice in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 that we just read, nothing had changed. The army was still there. The sea was still there. No circumstances has changed. And yet God says you can have peace because I said you can. You can have joy, you can have freedom, because I said you can. The peace that God gives us is based on his word, not on circumstances. It's based on what was settled in heaven, not what is going on here on earth. It's a peace that passes understanding. And then Jesus goes on to say, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There is a special kind of joy that comes from watching God get the victory. Have you been there? When you had no other choice but to stand still, you did not have the weapons to fight this, you didn't have the resources to to change this, you had to just come to your knees and believe in God, and God got the victory. Do you know that kind of joy? If you've not experienced that kind of joy, I, I can tell you this, there's nothing like it in the world. In fact, that kind of joy you get, you get to the other side. You know what it's like to get to the other side? You get to the other side, and that kind of joy says to me, maybe it's said to you as well, everything I just went through is worth it because I got more of God than I've ever had. Because I've seen my God be more mighty than I've ever seen Him be before. Because I've seen His love to a greater degree than I've ever experienced before. I know my God better than I've ever known Him. And I don't like deserts, but I am so glad We got to the other side. That joy is unspeakable. It's incredible. In fact, it's going to take a while to do it, but I think it's worth seeing how God got him to the other side, don't you? Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will again honor. I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. 
Then the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light all night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all night. Isn't that just like God? He gave him a night light. He gave him his comfort and peace. He got between them and the enemy. He stood between them and the danger they feared. What an amazing God we have that would love us and provide such a simple thing of comfort. What an amazing God. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from this place, from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. Not something that the Israelites could have done. Not something that they had the ability, the resources to do. God brought an incredible victory to the people of Israel. I would imagine that on that day, those that remembered that the infants were tossed into the Nile would have been thinking that moment, this is God. This is God restoring to us our peace. This is God taking care of us. This is God caring for us and loving us. There's a special kind of joy when you get to the other side. It's safe to say that God had a plan for the freedom of Israel that neither the Egyptians or the Hebrews could really anticipate. Do you think God might have a plan for you right now that you cannot imagine or anticipate? The God of the universe, the one who lit the sun with a word, loves you and knows you. He knows exactly where you are. In fact, one of the names that God has in the Bible is, is, is he's the God who sees. He sees you right where you are. And he knows exactly what you're going through. It is is true. God loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And that is just not cheap words. The God of the universe wants to give you joy and peace. Job had everything taken from him. His possessions, his family, his health. At the end of that, he had this to say about God. In Job 42, verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Nobody would want to go through what Job went through, but he had more of God at the end of it than he had ever had before. It was not joyful for Job in the trial, but the joy when he got to the other side was unspeakable. The disciples in the boat who thought they were going to die and thought that God didn't care experienced this. In Mark 4, verse 39, Then he, Jesus, 
arose and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? I think they got in the boat with somebody that they weren't really sure who he was. And at the other end of that storm, they knew who he was. He was the one that spoke this earth into being. He was the creator. He was God and still is. Elijah didn't have a lot of peace and joy when he was running from Jezebel, but he met God in that desert. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5 through 7, we read, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Not once, but twice, God sent supernatural comfort, peace and rest to Elijah in the middle of his crisis. Can you imagine the God of the universe sending an angel to cook you some breakfast? We just don't know what God's going to do to show his love. We just don't know what God's going to do to get us through the crisis, to get us to the other side, to show us how great and mighty he is and how much he loves us. It's worth getting to the other side, gang. It's tough. It's a trek. But it's worth getting to the other side. The desert was not a comfortable place for the people of Israel, and it would continue to present challenges as they continued their journey. But after the people of Israel followed God to that seashore that looked like a trap and followed Him beyond, they had to sing a song. And we read that song in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. They had so much joy that they had to write a song and sing it at the top of their lungs. What a contrast from what it was like the night before when they saw that army cresting that ridge. There, my friends, are the bookends that Jesus talks about. The peace and the joy. Joy so strong, so incredible, that you just have to sing praise. Remember the verse in James that talks about counting it all joy? Let me read it for you. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking Nothing. It's not the adversity that produces the joy. It's the getting to the other side in faith and in victory in Jesus Christ that produces the joy. It's difficult, friends. We're, not, we're, we're just fooling ourselves if we think that the adversity is, is going to be something that's going to be pleasant and joyful. It's not the adversity. It's Jesus in the adversity that's joyful. It's Jesus' victory in the adversity that brings peace and joy. Folks, when you get to the other side, you will have intimacy and understanding of God and His love for you that you never had before. That's where the joy comes from. That's where the peace comes from. And each time I've experienced it, on the other side, I've said to myself, I don't want to go through that again, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. I am a different man. 
And that God that I serve, he's bigger than I ever knew him to be. And he loves me more than I ever knew possible. And I am glad I know him like that now. So where are you this evening? Chances are in a crowd this size, there are some of us who are walking in the desert right now. It's just difficult. If somebody says to you, how are you doing right now? You're going to have to think for a minute to hold back the tears because it is just, you're in the middle of it. It's difficult. Adversity is difficult and painful. Sometimes it seems like there's no way forward. Sometimes it seems like God has abandoned you. Sometimes it seems like God just doesn't care and it just keeps coming and it just keeps coming. Sometimes you feel like getting angry and just dumping it all and going back where you came from. The desert is a crossroads. Are you at a crossroads tonight? One of the choices you have is you can go back to Egypt. You can go back to the slavery. Another choice you have is you can just kind of stay stuck in the desert. But I'll tell you, my friend, what God wants for you tonight is freedom. Freedom from the fear in your heart. Freedom from the slavery that comes from, from the enemy. Freedom and faith and joy and peace by getting to the other side with God's help. You can get to the other side with God's help. It looks impossible to you. Nothing is impossible to God. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who, are labor, who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In John 16, Jesus says, These things have I spoken to you, to you, and you, and you, and you, that you may have, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Will you choose this evening to follow Jesus Christ through your trial, through your difficulty, Will you choose this evening to turn your life over to Jesus Christ, to give Him the things that you have found in your heart, the fear, the faithlessness, the hurt, the pain, the difficulty, the lies? Will you just give them to Him? Will you put them on the altar? Stop trying to wrestle with them yourself. This army that you face is bigger than you can fight, but it's not bigger than my God. Will you move to the other side with Jesus' help? Will you bow with me in prayer? Father, I want to thank you that we are not in this alone. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have you. We have the peace and the joy that you have promised. God, when you said on that cross, it is finished, you meant everything. Everything was done for our victory. And we thank you for that. God, help us to walk in victory. I pray for those here tonight that are struggling, that are hurting, that are walking through difficult times. I pray, God, that they would know your arms of peace around them, your joy, your strength, your purpose, that they would understand your passion for them. God, thank you for this time that we've had tonight in your word. I pray that we'd be encouraged by your strength and joy and that we would walk through this desert in victory because we walk with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.